Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. Here's a message from friends of the show. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto-stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X-Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you've found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris and Madam Amy, and we are here to give you the commentary you want. Marvel. Minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams, assemble. Welcome, everybody, to today's side quest. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about... Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we're going to be talking not just about kind of the last episode and what a last episode that was, right? Yeah, really. We're going to be diving into a lot of aspects of uh, of the season as a whole, uh, and and talk about uh, how things worked and how things how things went along. We're going to have a really interesting discussion, I think, tonight, uh, just based on some of the pre conversation that Liwanika and I have had. Uh, about this particular episode, uh, so let's uh, let's dive right in. Liwanika, why don't why don't you go ahead and start here? Why don't yeah? So yeah, let me jump right in. Wow, uh, this was if any if every, everyone is who's listening remembers our original MCU preview episode from December. I think we did that uh, of 2020. I had mentioned this was the show I was waiting for the most and while WandaVision blew me away and there are so many other things coming that I'm that I'm gonna love this didn't disappoint me this was solid I absolutely loved this show I absolutely loved so many elements of it I have some quibbles with pieces and parts I can acknowledge some creative differences or or issues with things and how they were done or what I wanted but almost all of those, if not all of those, come down to one thing. I wanted more. If I have a gripe about the show at all, it's I wanted more of it. Um, and I think we'll talk more about that in greater yep. detail as we talk about each episode. But I just want to say this show did amazing things for me as a comic book fan, as a Captain America fan. Uh, I'm sitting here recording this episode in oh, one of my Captain America t-shirts. You know, he came so close to using a phrase that I actually used somewhat frequently, which is do better, be better. Captain America said it in the end of this episode, be better, just be better. I've certainly heard you use the phrase, uh, you really earned that ass whooping too. So that's a, yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's another one. <laughs> so a very quotable show, a very quotable uh, second episode. Uh, or, or or season ending episode. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Love it. Love yeah. It. As I said, when you and I spoke about this after watching episode six, I thought this season or short series, whatever it's going to be was good. I, I don't think that I am with you that it was great. I think it was good. 
Okay. I think that the reason for that is, and I, again, we said we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about these a little bit. So let me go ahead and put it this way. From a story point of view, I thought the story was fine. I thought the story was engaging. I thought the story was interesting. From a character point of view, the characters were great, had no problem there. I think the show had structural issues, and the big one is pacing. Um, and that's, I think we're going to talk a lot about that specifically when we start breaking down the episodes themselves. And, and you know, I think that, and again, this may be the divide between you as a comic book guy and me as not a comic book guy. You knew what to expect. And I am going to posit that that filled in the gaps in the stories that I didn't see and therefore missed. Yeah. And, uh, I think that what goes hand in hand with, with pacing is something that we have talked about with other shows too. It wasn't, uh, we didn't talk about this with, uh, with WandaVision. Oh, it was when we talked about Star Trek Discovery. We talked about how a show with limited episodes handles the passage of time. Uh, you said it in our in our pre-show conversation. We don't know if this show took place over two weeks, three weeks, three months, a year. We don't know. And there's definitely even some questions that come up in this last episode um, about kind of what the scale of time is. I mean, just look at like how quickly – I'll dive right in. Look at how quickly John Walker goes from absolute pariah in the eyes of Sam and Bucky. I mean – to the point that he is brought before congressional committee and thrown out of the military like absolute pariah to vigilante in in his workshop working on his own shield right to then the next time that we see John Walker John Walker walks up next to Sam and Bucky and they're like oh John's back okay cool i suspect that something happened in between there to make that transition smoother because for me, it's like, oh, John Walker's here. He's going to get his ass beat. And it's like, oh, no, he's just helping out. Okay. And he's totally fine. He's totally fine with Sam being Captain America. He's not... Last time we saw John Walker, they had to fight over the shield. And then all of a sudden, that's gone. And then the next thing that we see from John Walker is his conversation with, with, the, with the Countess when uh, he is being made U.S. agent. And it's like, I... I don't know what just happened. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with pacing is that there was a, there's an issue with figuring out what the passage of time is and how much plot, how many things they threw in to six episodes. Right. And uh, this is where I, this is the part of the podcast <laughs> where the fact that I loved this show and thought it was great should have me completely disagreeing with you saying, nope, the pacing was not bad enough. It's, it was not that bad. And uh, this is great, but you're absolutely correct. Correct. The pacing was a challenge with this episode. The display of the passage of time was a challenge with this seat, with this show, specifically the closing couple of episodes. Yep. I'd say the last three episodes more so oh, yeah, than the last three episodes. I mean, they introduced a new plot point in the after credit scene of episode five of a six episode season and that didn't do anything yeah. with it. Well, I think part of that is because it is definitely not going to end. This is either carrying over into a movie or it's getting another season. I I, I feel a hundred percent confident with making that statement and it may just do both. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, I think that we saw development of things that are going to come to play and be a big part of uh, the next Black Panther film as well. I just feel that despite the pacing problems, it was still a great show. And I also think the pacing problems are more of a problem for people who don't come into this with my with my yep. level or close to my level yep. of knowledge. Right. So I'm sitting here in a Captain America shirt. Um, we've got friends that have, that are just as deep about Captain America as I am. Actually, one of them is deeper. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. you, you know, and they all agree with you. I, I, will, I will, I will, I will. That is the conceit here: is that I think you're absolutely right because they all agree with you. Uh, me as the non comic book guy, I'm kind of sitting here like uh, I'm I'm missing something, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. So, so I think part of that goes to to a couple of the characters, and you hit every piece that's important. I think the the miss that I absolutely 100% agree 110% agree with you is passage of time. 
not knowing the passage of time makes us a harder uh, river to row, right? If we knew that there was two months in Bucky throwing the shield around his family uh, home, uh, learning to use Sam, the shield. Or, I'm sorry, Sam throwing that around, and, and, or, and Bucky was down with them talking and training and doing all the little <laughs> Macking things. on his sister. <laughs> yeah, macking on his sister for, for, for two months or whatever. That makes more sense. Bucky having that some of the revelations, especially then with some of the challenges he was he was dealing with in a two month window in a family environment makes some sense, yep. right? But that happens in two weeks makes less sense. That happens in two days doesn't make sense. And because we don't know, the only thing we have is what you bring to the game. So knowing that Bucky eventually gets through it. Like, in my heart, I don't need to know how much time passed because I know that in the comic books, the correct amount of time did pass. So I'm not, it's not as necessary for me to see that. But as a content creator, I recognize how important it is to put that in there. And having so many good friends who are non-comic books who are watching it, I recognize that's the challenge you come to. Same thing with John Walker. You know, his backstory him building the friendship with Lamar, him having a tight friendship with Lamar. I think they did an okay job with saying these guys are tight. I don't know if they did as great a job making it so it was so tight that you saw him being as busted up about it with his folks. Like, I I think you saw him because he was, he had his own issues outside of Lamar losing it and going after the guy. I think that made sense. But him being as broken up about it two episodes later and three episodes later, I don't know if we saw that in the show. I, however, know it. So for me, it's all there and it's in between the scenes. I think that could have been done better and that gets done better with an extra episode or totally, two. Yeah. I think this is if this is two episodes longer, I have no idea how they would break that out. Like they would have to add a different action. Maybe it's a second mission or a second MacGuffin or, or maybe it's an extra, maybe the other one doesn't have to do with the Flag Smashers at all. Maybe it's Zemo tried to escape once and it's all about them dealing with Zemo issues for one episode to give the time to show John do his thing. So the off scenes are John doing his thing and it's a Zemo thing. And then later on, it's a second Flag Smasher uh, episode and then uh, Sam and Bucky doing their thing and then getting on to the plot one. So like you could almost keep every episode that they have as is, but if you just stuck in one episode early and one episode between five and six, I think you then would be, have the opportunity to fill yeah, this out. I, I think that there were some opportunities. There, there was some stuff left on the cutting room floor. I suspect that, uh, that that we would like to see uh, and really could have fleshed this out a little bit. I mean, they didn't really explore anything to do with Mastapore. They really didn't, you know, they, they didn't really dive into that very much. They didn't really dive into Sharon Carter being the power broker very much. They could have dove more into that, given that more... Uh, more solidity because, you know, I, I think that was really interesting too that you and I, so I looked at that and I saw that telegraphed from episode two when we meet her and she starts and, and the power broker as a concept is introduced and I was like, okay, so former CIA makes comment about the wealthy art that she's got and how she's using it to influence people and stuff like that and I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, she's the power broker. Like, this was not a question in my mind. And that was one of the things, you know, when we started talking about kind of how do we want to take this episode and bring it to the table, one of the things I was thinking about is is establishment of NPC backstory. Because, I mean, not that she's an NPC, she's, you know, but she's she's kind of like a... She's not Sam and Bucky, therefore she's kind of like in that other... She's in that other orbit of who aren't the PCs. <laughs> She's, side she's a sidekick, kick. right, okay. You know, and, and kind of, you know, if you're going to make your sidekick important, like, for example, if you've got a sidekick and then six sessions in, all of a sudden you realize that your sidekick is king, that doesn't work. You've got to do more to establish that providence at the table. You can't just throw it and say, oh, hey, by the way, he's the king. Yeah, and I think you're right to an extent, but here's what I'm going to say, and I think this really boils down to comic book canon types and non-canon types, right? So people who know it, know the comic books and know the history of the comics versus those who don't. Sharon Carter is a long-standing character within the Captain America comic book 
world years like since the 70s if i remember correctly and uh was cap's girlfriend for 10 or more years in fact i felt she got a little short shift and one of the only detriments i have to my to this day number one favorite mcu film which is captain america winter soldier to this day the only thing i didn't like about that is how short shift uh sharon carter got because of how important she was to Steve Rogers in the comic books. So for me, I looked at all the same things you did, noted everything you noted, but my takeaway was 100% different. My takeaway is they are doing a fantastic job of explaining how jaded she is because of these things. But this is a character who was, at least as far as I read to the point where I stopped collecting comics regularly in the late 90s, a pure character. She was, well, nobody's as good as Steve Rogers, right? But she was just the shade better. To me, her being corrupted was a non-starter. Like her being manipulated or tricked or being a unwilling, like somebody was being threatened so she was working for the power broker. Those were thoughts in my head. Her being the power broker never crossed my mind until she said the words. And I'm like, what? And it was a stunning twist for me. (laughs) But I get why anybody who didn't have that knowledge that I had wouldn't think so. So I think it's one of those things where Marvel, uh, Feige is essentially threading a, a needle where it's like, how do I do something that is has a twist portion or option to it that is telegraphed so it's not out of left field, but still can put people who have all this deep bank of knowledge. Uh, so they're watching this and not everything is exactly the way it happened in yep. the comic. Okay. So, and I thought that was perfectly done to thread that needle. Cause it had to give you just enough. So you could say, well, it makes sense. And you said it yourself, as long as you said it had to be, then they must have tell they must have done all the things they needed to do to not make yeah. it shock. I mean, I, I, I thought Sharon Carter being the power broker made more sense than John Walker. <laughs> like that was, and then when you go to the John Walker piece, that makes perfect sense to me because his story, which I know just as well as Sharon Carter's, as the person who won Goddess Powers as a result of the power broker, um, and to uh, not let he stole it and then took it when he wasn't supposed to. And wow, what a great opportunity for them to show that transition, by the way. That's something that could have gone in there. Uh, the twitches that Wyatt Russell started doing after he took the serum, I don't know if you noticed it, but there was several times, and especially after Lamar died, he kept having these... Like weird flashbacky things, yeah. Like he would twitch and try to shake things off, showing that the serum wasn't working pretty well, or he was a bit... He had issues going on. I thought it was a brilliant acting choice. I don't know if that was directed or something that Wyatt just brought to the role, but I thought that is what you needed to to know that he's not Something's quite not right. right. Yeah. But at the same time, I think they did a great job of saying that he truly believes he was doing the right thing. Like when he was in that courtroom telling him, I did everything you told me to do. He is saying, I stopped threats. That's what you trained me to do. He did nothing in that role that he wasn't trained and selected to do. He was talking to them as I'm the guy who got betrayed. Uh, I'll take you to a whole different kind of movie when... You've got John Rambo talking on a radio to Colonel Troutman. They drew, they drew first blood, sir. They drew first blood. That was that moment in this, in this show. I don't think why it acted it quite as well as Sly did in the very first, first blood. I will say that, but I don't know. he's pretty good, but, <laughs> he, but he was very good. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll credit where credit's Yeah. Too. He, why it was exceptional, it, but it was also a different environment. He wasn't in the fight like Stallone was. So there's different kinds of emotions that you had to play. He was in a courtroom, but I think he wore the, why are you even doing this to me? I did what you told me to do. Why are you betraying me? I didn't do anything wrong. And that righteous indignation is so much part of the fabric of John Walker in the comic book that it was perfectly on display here. This is where I agree with you. Between episode five, six, we needed something else to show a bit more of that transition for the Countessa to do her thing for or, or whatever. Um, him trotting out in a picture perfect. Looked just like it looked in the comic book, or as I would envision it, perfect US agent suit. Awesome. Awesome. 
I was waiting for something to be said by the Countessa that wasn't said. I wanted her to say, and next stop, Avengers Mansion. Because in the comic book, that's when they told John Walker, and you're still going to be an adventure, Avenger. And they told the Avengers, you don't like it? Quit. <laughs> you, you want our backing? He's on the team. Wow. Done. And they were forced to have John Walker on the team. See, one of the things that the MCU has done that's a bit strange for me as a comic book guy is they have never clearly defined who the Avengers were, right? What the Avengers did in the 80s, they became a government-sanctioned team, and therefore their washer was specific and known. And there were issues every couple of years where they'd say, these are the current active members, and then they would have a list of... Capital C, capital A, capital M, yeah. Right, and then they had uh, inactive members or members on leave and things like that. And then they activated other branches. They had the West Coast Avengers. They had the East, the Great Lakes Avengers. That was a joke. It was a joke comic book, but there actually was a Great Lake Avengers team. Uh, you know, and they had they had all these other... Uh, they, so they had all these other things. T'Challa was part of the Avengers officially. At some point, they were international. It wasn't just U.S. It, was, it changed. As different writers got it, it changed, right? So the MCU... Started the, started the Avengers as as a as a government project, so everybody was effectively sanctioned by the government, and then sometime within the MCU, because remember this started with Shield, a, a government agency, and it was the Avengers Initiative. They were hand selected by by Fury, therefore they were a government controlled team. How much? How, uh, and with a lot and of autonomy, pretty, <laughs> with a lot of autonomy, until. The Sokovia Accords. The events yeah. of Civil War. With the Sokovia Accords, that was changing. It was at that point that the team became just the people on the Iron Man side. They did their thing. Now, immediately following that is Avengers Endgame, where half the team dies, and it was everybody but the original Avengers. And then they were, and, and half of them were separated by galaxies. So we never really got a good idea of who the Avengers were, and we don't have a full film dealing with the Avengers to know where they are because we're not 100% on the time frame since the end game. So because of that, I can't tell you exactly who's there. I can tell you who I think is there. And that is anybody who's still alive from Iron Man's side. And uh, that's about it. <laughs> yep. The other thing that I think is interesting is that uh, and we're going to get into the, into the breakdown of the episodes in a second here. But So they announced Captain America 4. I just went back and took took a look, and I don't know if this was like intentional on their part or if it's just way down the list of things that they're going to start producing, but there were 24 projects on the MCU Cinematic Universe list when they put it out in, in December or January or whenever it was, uh, and Captain America 4 is not on there, so are they now going to slot Captain America 4 into the into the progression here or is it the 25th project and we're going to see it in 2027 or whenever they finally get through this i did not see the article with captain america 4 so you'll you'll have to tell me if that is um listed as a disney plus or if that's listed as a full-on feature okay, well, let's let's look i think it's a i think it's a I'm movie get, yeah. i'm guessing I'm guessing because you said four, it's got to be a movie. Yeah. Um, the head writer and creator of Disney Plus and Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is developing a fourth installment to the Captain America film franchise for Marvel Studios. They're just in the development phase. We may not know the answer to that question. Uh, my guess is they shuffle things and put it in where it goes in. We saw co COVID change production yeah. schedules for the show. Black Widow and Hawkeye and all that stuff, yeah. I, I am confident that Real World will come in and shuffle some projects here or there. Maybe they put this in the Black Panther spot. So what we talked about is kick that out an extra year or so, but have different things along the way that mention what's going on there. So we get a little more distance between the passing of Mr. Bozeman and uh, when the next Black Panther film comes out. Uh, that would be a great slot to put it in and then kick that one out. And, you know, for those that are particularly concerned with why are you moving a black film out for a non-black film now we have a black captain america so we've got something that fits in that becomes a non-issue though we ask who's writing it is it what what's the perspective those are the kinds of things that i think about from a meta sense from a plot sense it can fit wherever they want it to fit and they can make it fit 
And to be honest with you, it really depends on what story they're trying to tell. The beauty is if they do uh, uh, doing a four that has Sam as Cap, I will have no canon history to go from. I know he did the job, but I've never read any of the comics with him doing the job. So I will be watching that with 100% fresh eyes and loving it as long as they don't borrow older stories to put on the new Cap. And, and so I am actually looking forward to having something that I have no pre-knowledge. So uh, for, for better or for worse, and I say this without any judgment, um, the person writing the Captain America 4 script is Malcolm Spellman, who wrote episodes 1 and episode 6 of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and he's writing it with uh, Dalen Musson, who wrote episode 5. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and we're going to talk about the about episode by episode through the uh, through the season uh, because I think that that's going to help us illustrate uh, some of the things that we're talking about in terms of how these plots developed, some of the gaps that we saw in between there, how we saw the character development and that sort of thing. We're also we're not going to talk about episode one because we did an entire episode about about the first episode. So uh, we'll make sure and include the link to that episode in the show notes. Um, if you want to get our take on on episode one on New World Order, you can go ahead and, and listen to that episode. I think suffice to say, episode one set up this season very, very well. It did a really good job of introducing the characters. We thought it did a really good job of kind of setting up their individual backgrounds. Was a, was a really good foundation to go ahead and spring off of. Enough said on that one. The one other thing that I think they did a great job of introducing was introducing the three major elements of this show. One is action. The yeah. action sequences were going to be fast. They were going to be uh, they were going to be uh, volatile, and they were going to be fun. And the other thing it set up was character development. We got to see in that first episode that we were going to get deep, specifically with Sam, specifically with Bucky. And that was set up here. And then the conflict, the introduction of John Walker and the closing moments of the of, of the of the episode. Uh, I think they introduced those three things in that first episode, and that's where the rest of the season takes off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we talk about the three major pillars of of your role playing game. Combat was on point. The role play between between the characters was on point. Didn't deal too much with like exploration and stuff like that, but definitely got into uh, the fact that this is a global stage. Not it's not just reduced to like it's not just reduced to Baltimore or anything like that. It is it is or Louisiana or any of the numerous places. But it is this is a worldwide problem uh, or a worldwide stage that is having everything uh, come across here. So let's go ahead and start with uh, episode two then, which episode two is really the episode where John Walker gets uh, established into the universe, uh, into, into the MCU. Uh, it's the big episode where they've got the, the big rally. It's really the first time, it's really the only time actually that we see that uh, that one-on-one conversation between John Walker and Lamar, um, which, you know, we talked about this uh, about this too in our, in our pre-show notes about how um, they didn't do a lot to elaborate on that relationship. I think this is the only episode that really did that, is that, you know, I had that five or six minute episode, uh, bit where they're in the locker room and they're, that, uh, they're doing that plot exposition through communication bit that, I mean, that's, that's straight out of Shakespeare. Shakespeare would do that all the time. Um, you know, where it's like two people are talking and they're talking about things that happened and that's how plot is being introduced. And we also, in episode two, uh, had Sam confront for the first time Isaiah Bradley. Um, and so really started to introduce the lineage of Captain America and how the super soldiers have been viewed and treated through the lens of Captain America kind of throughout history. And I thought that there was a lot in this episode. Uh, there was a lot of building up of what does it really mean to be Captain America in 2021 through this episode. I absolutely agree with how you phrased that. Um, and I'm going to kind of take the points you mentioned and go backwards. From I'm going to start there because that's where I think the heart of this show really was. It's about the legacy of Captain America and what it means. 
Uh, we've talked on this show before about characters like uh, Steve Rogers and Kal-El. How does that translate to the modern world? The modern world, which is so jaded, has so many flawed individuals. Somebody who follows the rules, quote-unquote, works for the man. Michael Burnham. All those types of things. This show is about that. And it's about how does one rise above that? It's And it's about Steve Rogers, as played by Chris Evans, and how good he was at that. How does anybody follow it? How does anybody follow that? And then it's about... Bucky, who's saying, I'm way too flawed. I'm not, I can't, I am not good enough to do this. But if Steve believes in you, why aren't you? And if you're not going to do it, what the hell's wrong with me? Uh, the, those are key elements of what was going on in this episode and throughout this series. You know, there's a lot of revelations to come and we'll talk about those, but I thought that they were very well explained, expressed, and detailed. The introduction of Isaiah Bradley. Uh, and uh, all of those elements. Look, we're we are in the world of 2021. We survived the world of 2020. At the time of this recording, we are less than a week after the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of, of George Floyd. We live in a world that has significant issues. This show did not shy away from those issues. It didn't pretend they didn't exist. It didn't say that guy good, that guy bad. It simply expressed the fact that these are real issues and nobody has the answers. And it set up the people who were asking the questions properly. This is the question, why would you do this? Effectively, Isaiah Bradley was there to say, I tried, I failed, why the hell would you bother, right? That's That was, his, that was the plot point that he was trying to drive across. And at the... In episode two, Sam didn't have an answer, and and I think that's kind of that's kind of telling because later on, Sam gives his yeah. answer. I will I will agree with you that eventually we get to the part that we need to stop looking in terms of black and white, good guys, bad guys. I think in episode two, episode two is still at the point where the series is hammering home that the flag smashers are the bad guys. The see, it gets there. And I'm with you on that. It does eventually get there, but it doesn't get there until halfway through episode six, right? Until they're defeated. It doesn't get there until they're defeated. So I think they didn't say it until six, right? But I think there's little pieces along the way and not in this episode specifically. I think the reveal of who is the Flag Smasher was a great reveal. As a canon comic book guy, the Flag Smasher is, again, a character who was a dude who I know of, and therefore, the fact that they have replaced that role with this brilliant actor, uh, who's a woman uh, of some non-white descent uh, with red hair, I think was a brilliant choice, because her pretending to be captured, and maybe an innocent stowaway, and for Bucky to say, hey, don't worry, I'm here to save you, and then getting his ass kicked, was a perfect introduction that this is not the show that you can and comic book guys are expecting. And probably the first telegraph that I should have known other things were going to change. It wasn't, but probably the first note that I should have taken on that. I thought that was exceptionally well done. So you're right. At first, they did show themselves to be bad guys. But the more research that was done or the more that the heroes, Sam and Bucky, did, the more we started to understand are they really though? Right. We get there. And that and that's sort of what I'm saying. Is like, you know, not to not to derail too far away from our already derailed side quest. Um, but Carly Morgenthau brilliantly played by the British actress Erin Kellyman. Erin Kellyman was also in the solo movie from 2018. She played Enfys Nest. I did not know. I did not know that either until I literally just looked it up. Yeah, she was she was one of the marauders. You know, here we have uh, an actor playing a couple of different anti-hero type roles and playing them very, very well. I don't think it's accurate to say that at this point in the season, in episode two, they're still being set up to be the bad guys, right? To be the, to, to be the problem. And eventually we get to the point that's like, they're viewed as the bad guys because they're asking questions that they don't, that people don't think that they should be asking. And to his credit, Sam is the one that always says, hold on, we need to figure this out, because if we do this wrong, it's going to go sideways. 
Um, and he's absolutely right. They don't figure it out and it does go sideways and it almost goes irreparably sideways if not for him saving the GRC's ass from the fire. There is definitely something to be said for that, that Sam is consistent in how he views this from day one. The show is not. The show definitely, I th- like. I don't think if you asked Bucky in episode two uh, or asked uh, Lieutenant Torres in episode two, are the Flag Smashers good guys or are they bad guys or are they neutral? I don't think there would have been any doubt in anybody's eyes except for Sam that they were bad guys. And I think you're right. But so the question that I have to ask is if we were to be interviewing and please take this if you ever hear this podcast, uh, creators of this show, we this would love to have you on. Absolutely an invitation. <laughs> Hashtag call your boys TTJ. If we were to ever interview them, I think we might find or could possibly find the goal was to be, was for the camera to take the audience on the ride from this is what you think is the bad guy. Watch this other guy who never viewed him that way and always viewed it as let's question what's going on. Watch this other guy who always used that guy as his guidepost, Bucky. And then watch how they change the rest of the world's view. And then the camera changes its view as each episode goes on until you finally get to the point where you're right where Sam was all along, which is, man, I'm in this fight with them, except I just don't like their methods. And I think that that may have been, I have no way of knowing, an actual creative choice. So that you, as we as an audience member, could go from understanding, read your historically challenged group of people here. This is how blacks went from being the bad guy to being a group that was questionable or are now like, hey, maybe we should be questioning why they got there and why they're doing what they're doing versus the fact that they're doing it. This is how you view the Palestinians as being not necessarily terrorists. Maybe they're just people who've been oppressed and been hurt for so long that we should be asking, why did we create the world in which that was okay? Or the world in which even if these guys are terrorists, other people are like, I got nothing else but to exactly back. right. Like, like how, how can you how can you how can you criticize them for not buying into a system which has oppressed them for a generation and a half at this point? Right. Yeah, and and, and you can take any oppressed people anywhere in the world, the Jews originally as they were in Germany, you can take any of the indigenous people from the United States of America or what is now the United States of America. You can take women, you can put in your oppressed class or group anywhere in that type of discussion and say the Northern Irish uh, during, during the big revolution, look, I may not like the way that the, the army handles this or their their militant group handles this. But at the end of the day, there are average people who don't want to hurt anybody that'll still protect them because at the end of the day, they're not the cops kicking in their door. And I think that that was kind of a choice. The choice is you're not Bucky or this shows are done from a perspective directorially or creatively. This is a show that is not done from the perspective of Sam or Bucky. We are observing Sam and Bucky. I don't think in this show, the audience is watching from any single character's point of view. We are omnipotent and we are only watching it as the world changes its view. That's that's my, and maybe I'm reading more into it than is there. Who knows? That's how I choose to view this because I think you're right. They didn't, they were clearly shown as one thing and that softens as the show goes. Or that changes as the show goes. I wouldn't say soft. Yeah, it changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's and I think that's on yeah. purpose. Yeah, because I think they also make a make a point at the end of the show to go ahead and say that um, that there are still people who will just think they are the bad people, that they are the bad guys because of what they did, and they're not willing to engage the question that Sam is saying. If you want to do this right, you've got to engage this question. He fully admits that there are people that are not willing to go ahead and engage that question, and he also calls out that half the people that won't engage the question aren't going to engage the question because he's the one asking them to. Like there's, you know, like yeah. there's that whole element of it too. Brilliantly done. 
Brilliantly done. Let's move on to episodes three and four. Yeah. Well, I think episodes three and four we can kind of look at together, right? So, the, because I think that they are, I think that this is kind of like your inner season arc that starts with the breakout of Baron Zemo and ends with John Walker falling apart. Yeah. John, John Walker has his uh, his Michael Douglas in falling down moment at the end of, of, of episode four. And, you know, now that I look at the at the uh, at the episode list, um, both episodes were written by the same by the same person, by Derek Kolstad. So I think that it is I think that sort of explains why why there's sort of the uh, why there's the, the commonality here. Let's talk a little bit about how this begins, right? So the character of Baron Zemo is introduced. Uh, and again, we start getting reintroduced. reintroduced. That's fair. Yep. Um, and then we start to see all of this uh, plot exposition, right? Uh, we go to Madripoor. Uh, Sam gets into a position that he is not comfortable being in, right? Um, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, I mean, Sam, for the most part, is a lawful good character, right? He does not like being dishonest and having to go into the belly of the beast, you know, especially when they when they serve him that disgusting cocktail with the with the, with the scorpion insides and right bucky's a little bit more comfortable in this element but but sam they are intentionally portraying sam as uncomfortable here what i thought was what a brilliant allegory there's a couple things they did throughout this series and this was one of the early ones that i thought really showed how close to steve sam actually absolutely yeah like you know sam next to steve comes up a little more street comes up a little more ready for the for the modern world but the reality is, when it comes right down to it, when he's in Madripoor, he is not as ready for that world as right. he appears right. next to Steve. Like, Steve would have bombed in oh, that God. situation, right? <laughs> like, famously like hysterically, bombed. yeah. But Sam was almost as funny. You know, uh, what do you mean I'm going to, okay, I I guess, I, uh, 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 you know... You know, it's like take the paladin with the rogue to the thieves guild. You know, yeah. it, it's never gonna work. Yeah. It's just never gonna work. Like when his sister calls uh, when they're in there talking to uh, in, in the lounge there in the club. Uh, I forget who it is that they're talking to, but trying to get the information about who's making the super the super soldier serum. And his phone starts to ring, and she's like, "Answer it on speaker." And it's Sarah giving him a hard time about something with the boat, and he's like, "Uh, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're. Stop calling me." She's like, "What? What are you talking?" Are you on drugs? <laughs> it's like, God, that's hysterical. Like, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And it shows that Sam Wilson is not a spy. He's not okay in the spy world. It was very reminiscent. Uh, actually, that was very reminiscent of Natasha and Steve in the mall in Winter Soldier uh, was, was this. The only difference is we didn't have Bucky Lock and Lips with him. You know, that was really, that's really the only departure. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was a great allegory for uh, what this relationship, this friendship, this partnership was becoming. Uh, Bucky being that Natasha Black Widow type role to Cap. Uh, And I think that was well telegraphed. You mentioned earlier about Madripoor, and it dawned on me that being a non-canon guy, what you're not aware of is the history behind Madripoor. I looked up a bunch of it when when they went to Madripoor because I was like, okay, clearly this is this is clearly a thing. And so, like, I, I picked up on the whole like uh, this is most likely a way to introduce a lot of Fantastic Four and a lot of X Men elements and a lot of stuff like that. Like all that's that, gonna, mm, all that's going to emerge from Madripoor. Yeah, that's yeah, mostly, mostly X Men vis a vis Wolverine. But one of the but one of the best Captain America stories from years past in the 80s, it might have been early 90s, but uh, I believe it was the late 80s, was the fact that Cap was in Madripoor during World War II, working with Logan, who was only known as Logan at the time, and Natasha, because Natasha in the comic books, who is a super soldier, does have a version of the super soldier serum, was also active as the Black Widow during that time frame. Huh. So that was the connection between Steve Rogers and Captain America and Madripoor was actually those three characters. So that, that I don't know how much story that's going to bring with it, but I do know that that was a great send up to one of my favorite individual cap issues of, of, of times back. Uh, I also thought that in the bridge between episodes three and four. So here's episode three setting up 
that Sam and Bucky have to work with Baron Zemo. They don't like it, but they realize that he's the best one to go ahead and help them. And just when they think that they've got Zemo under control and they've got the situation all set uh, and and they've and they have a little bit of control they're starting to steer the ship a little bit who shows up but the Dora Milaje like when Io shows up when when Bucky's like uh oh yeah I wondered I wondered how long I was gonna be able to last before you showed up and he turned around and said give us Zemo <laughs> it's like it's like I was like oh shit. <laughs> like this is this is not gonna go well yeah, some of the best quoted lines came from the uh, came from Io in, in this episode or in this set of episodes. You know, when they finally break in, when they're fighting all of them, when John Walker famously makes one of the most foolish mistakes oh, in the oh, history oh. of modern cinema. Right? Yeah, there are some mistakes that just should not be done. Right? Elsa reached for the for 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 the Grail. Right? You know. There are just things that should not be done. Frodo, don't put on the ring. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Ray, when somebody asks you if you're a god, you say, say yes. yes. <laughs> you know, these are critical things in film that nobody should ever forget. Yeah. And so what I'm saying basically is John Walker and for anybody who ever has the opportunity to be in a situation where they're facing off against the Dormelage, uh, when he has the opportunity to face off against them, just don't put your hand on her shoulder. No. Don't, don't don't do, do that. that. No. Don't don't do that. No. She was she was allowing you to walk upright. Yeah. Allowing. Yeah. What jurisdiction do you have here? The Dora Milaje has jurisdiction wherever we the Dora Milaje are. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> wherever we decide. Yeah. It's like yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. So freaking brilliant. Yeah. You know? Especially since he's in Lithuania at the time. Captain America is in Lithuania complaining about jurisdiction. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah. This is not going to end well for you. <laughs> shut your hole. Yeah, shut, shut your hole. <laughs> oh, what? You don't want to shut your hole? Allow me. Let me and then shut she, your like, hole for you. beats his ass. Uh, I have just beats him badly. Here's an interesting your actions have consequences moment, right? Here, so I... I'm going to what if for a moment here, but if we think about John Walker and we think about what led him to take the super serum when he had the opportunity to, like, I don't think that it was an ass whooping. It was an ass whooping and it was an ass whooping by the Wakandans that really made him realize that he was never going to be Steve Rogers. He could be Captain America but he was never going to be Steve Rogers. And he's still not Steve Rogers. But in his mind, he thought that it was a physical thing. He thought it was, I'm not a super soldier, therefore I'm not Steve Rogers. He never once looked at his actions and said, my actions make me not Steve Rogers. And I think that that was very important because I forget who asked him right now, but somebody asked Sam, would you ever, oh, Zemo asked the question, actually, would you ever take it? And he said, no. And Sam was like, no, no. Like if it was offered to you, and he knew there were no side effects, would you take it? No. And Zemo was actually impressed. And I thought that was brilliantly acted in that scene because he's like, well, you're a rare one because most people would not say that. And I thought that, you know, you got a little growth in Zemo in that in that scene. And so I thought that that was very well done. But you're right. He took a beating in the car chase in the in the second episode. But he got his ass handed to him in this episode. Four people got beat by a bunch of super soldiers yeah. there. Yeah. In this episode, he got his ass handed to him by people who are not super soldiers. Yep. And, and that's that affected him. Like, and that's where he made the decision. That decision was made in that moment. So you're right. Actions have consequences. It's one of these things where on the table, there will often be a battle where it's like, so you're fighting against the normal guards. Where do you turn the normal guards into future villains versus just guards who you got away from? Well, when you beat them senseless or kill one of their members. Yep. They're now future villains for your party. Maybe not for the whole world, but certainly for your party. And I thought that was very well done, very well telegraphed, or very well portrayed. Getting into episode five, and again, we kind of talked about how episode five and episode six uh, kind of ended the season. This is kind of where I think the season for me fell off the rails a little bit, right? I think that through episode four, 
I was conscious of the fact that there were only two episodes left after episode four. And I think episode five felt, you know, I made a reference to it earlier that episode five of a, of a six in the credit scene after episode five in a six season, a six episode season is not the time to introduce a new plot point. <laughs> Right. You only have one episode left. And I think that beginning with episode five, I wonder, I, I look, I, I mean this tongue in cheek, but it felt like the writer said, oh, crap, we've only got two episodes left. We'd better get all of it out because we just spent three episodes dealing with with backstory. We don't have enough time to actually resolve all this backstory now unless we just kind of go through it systematically one by one. Right. I mean, episode five is when we see the Contessa coming. Episode five is when we see uh, John Walker get get discharged. This is when we see him begin to go ahead and take his vigilante role. This is when all these different things start happening. You know, this is this is when the big uh, the big Sam goes home with Bucky thing happens when they when they, you know, the community gets together to go ahead and rebuild the boat and everything like that. Like that's, you know, there's a lot of screen real estate built in episode five on things that really are not a this is episode five of a six episode season type material this is really stuff that really should have been at least in episode four and i think that they stretched episodes three and four out really really far like why was there so much attention paid to the funeral scene where Carly and Sam, like Carly and Sam have to have that conversation, but there was a lot of contrived, unimportant plot to make that conversation happen. I'm going to stop you there because I disagree with you on that point. I thought 100% of that funeral stuff was important because we were, as I said, remember, we are not following any one character. We're the audience. Yep. The audience needed to realize that these are people who have have families, who have people they love, who are losing people, who are dealing with these things. So without showing that in some fashion, they're just a bunch of terrorists who have some sycophantic people after them. Okay, that's fair. And I, I think that that served that purpose. Now, where I do agree with you is the fact that this felt, I don't think five felt rushed. I think we were missing an episode six and what was episode six should have been an episode seven. Yeah, I think at least so one I, other episode, I don't think, yeah. I don't think anything in five should have been earlier. I think you wanted, if you're going to do it episodically, you had to end with the blood on the shield. Yep. And then you had to start with that action sequence with the fight to get the shield back for five, right? So I think five stands as it is. And I think four, I think everything up to five stands as it is. We just needed something between five and six to show the passage of time. Yeah. Boy, explain who the hell the Contessa is, because all that I know is that all that I know is that Elaine from Seinfeld shows up, and then all of a sudden she's hiring John Walker once he gets discharged. That's all I know. That's that's that is all they showed us. Right, but Josh, what you're two things you're forgetting. One, the gray in your beard is showing <laughs> because Julia Louis Dreyfus is uh, Emmy Award winning vice president from V. <laughs> Okay, fair. Now, that said, I've never seen the show. As far as I saw, I'm like, oh, it's a land from <laughs> Because immediately following watching that episode, because it's what we watch late at night when we're on, is we turn on Seinfeld. Also, I was watching your dude the dance, which you, you actually have to be watching. Yeah, I was, was going to say, the, the, the Elaine those dance. of you listening to us on radio right now did not just see the dance that Lee Wanika just did. It was, uh, it was epic, so... So, but what I do know is I know a little bit about the character from the comic books. I do know John Walker's story. And here's what I think. And again, this is very meta. There was a debate going on whether this would be popular enough to have a season two or whether they would leave it as a limited thing. And I think what Marvel, what Marvel and Disney did, trotting out this great experiment, which is Disney Plus, is they're not sure if any of these shows will go, will go for season after season. So as opposed to committing to that, they're doing these limited stories and if they are very popular and there's a good story that follows and it fits into the overall plan, they'll do a second season and it'll be basically another mini movie split up. So I think they knew and it may have been that it was filmed and it wasn't necessarily there or it was further emphasized because if you cut all of Julie Dreyfus's parts out of the entire thing, 
they could have had John Walker walk out as U.S. agent anyway. And it wouldn't have changed much that they filmed. They wouldn't have had to do anything other than cut her part out of those scenes. Yeah. I mean, she's only in two scenes. Right. So here's what I think. I think it was done on purpose because at that point they knew they were going to do a second season or a movie and she's going to be big later in the MCU. And here's where I'm going to say my big difference with you and several other people. And if people want to argue that it's a bad thing overall, they can do that. But I refuse to think of anything to include each individual feature film as anything other than a single episode in a greater story. Because I view each movie as an episode in a greater story. And I don't view anything as truly standalone. Sure. I think that it is not as weird to have two scenes introducing a new plot point. Just because it's at the end of this chapter. To introduce a plot point at the end of a chapter is not as weird as introducing a plot point at the end of a movie. And that's how I look at it. I look at this as a chapter in what is already 20... What was it 22 films and two series now? Yeah, something like so that. Twenty, yeah. so 24 chapters in the in in the book of MCU or the story of MCU. And in that regard, I think it's just it's pretty good. And I think it was played well enough that I'm very interested. I think she gave us a whole lot of am I am I this am I that uh, in that second scene to make me really intrigued to see where they go. Where she pops up, who knows? But it'll be interesting. And I'm hoping it's when they do the next Avengers thing uh, and and they force feed uh, John Walker onto the Avengers. I hear you. And I think that there is definitely a way... Look, they did this in WandaVision. There's definitely a way that you can structure a short-run series that ties up some of its internal stuff and gives you something to build on going forward. And I just don't think that this show did it as well. I really just don't. I I, 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 I liken it to, I don't know if you, this is ever a show that you watched, but there was a show, uh, I think it was a Netflix original called The OA, right? It had, The OA had two seasons. The storyline of The OA is really, really complicated, but it, it basically boils down to a woman is kidnapped, we think. She is kidnapped with six other people, we think. And the story begins with her escaping from this captivity and telling people the story of what happened to her. The issue at the end of episode of season one is that there is one thing that happens. It is the last thing that happens in season one that makes you doubt the entirety of the entire season. No questions are answered in the entire scope of the season. It's more questions are raised, and just when you think they're answered, they're answered in such a way as to be ambiguous, and you don't actually, like, there there comes a point where me as a watcher want to understand what's going on, even if they are mysterious. I feel the need for some closure, And, and so I think that when you look at the Contessa as a character... Introducing her under mysterious circumstances, fine, but give me something else other than one other scene in the next episode where she's still mysterious mysterious and ambiguous and clearly has some agenda, but I have no idea what that agenda is. Like, she makes no overtures about what her agenda is. There are so many ways that you could go ahead and give me some clue. Like you said earlier, the quote says, okay, now on to Avengers Mansion, right? Okay, now I now I have some clue about what her agenda is. Right now, she could be Hydra for all I know. I have no idea who she is. No clue. Don't know what her agenda is. Don't know what she's trying to do. Don't know where she's going. I'm looking at the list and I'm trying to figure, okay, which of the next 21 projects is going to have anything to do with this character or US or, 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 or US agent. Like I know like eventually there's um, there's a Venom uh, show and I know that you talked before about how John Walker gets involved with the Venom project. Is that where she's going to, is that where this is going to go? I have no idea. Uh, and I, I think like things can be mysterious. Things can be ambiguous, but give me something to latch onto right now. Like I said, all that I know is that Elaine from Seinfeld just hired John Walker to be a different Captain America than he used to be. That's all. That is all that I know. And 
And I don't care. <laughs> that's right. why. And, that's and, the problem. And so, again, this is a character who I have not read on her uh, a great deal. But she's been around for a lot of years. Her for, her first appearance in the comic books was 1967. Yeah, I don't care. And she was created by Steranko. She's a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. or part of the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic book. Uh, she basically was uh, working right along hand, alongside of Nick Fury in the original uh, comic okay. books. So I'm not sure what they're doing with her because clearly they're doing um, very different things with her. They might not be. Maybe they're not. Like, maybe she is working for Nick Fury. There are ways that you can say, like, okay, there were, in six episodes, there were two post-credit cutscenes. One after, one after uh, maybe three. There might have been one after episode four. Either two or three. Episode, definitely one after six, definitely one after five. There, I think there might have been one after four also. <laughs> if she's working for Nick Fury, after episode three, give us a two-minute scene with Nick Fury and her sitting down saying... Okay, well, you know what to do. Yep, I know what to do, boss. Okay, thanks. Okay, yep, cool. And then, if and then, so we see that at the end of episode two. If we don't see her again until episode five, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's what she's doing. Okay. Right. There's and, something. And, and so I, I, I hear what you're saying. This is an element that happens all the time in comic books that doesn't translate to the casual film, to the casual viewer, or to the film viewer. So I don't like right? comic books. So, so <laughs> comic books introduce single characters once with very little, and then three or four years later, now they've got their own book and they're doing something cool. That's how comic books work. And I look at this as just that. I'm basically looking at the MCU and all of its 24 pieces as being a comic book. Sure. And and so I don't, it doesn't strike me as odd. If I were strictly a film viewer, it probably would strike me as yeah. odd. If they did something like this in James Bond, because they are designed self-contained. But I don't think beyond phase one, anything in the MCU has been so. Well, and, and I don't, Look, I don't need an entire episode dedicated to the Contessa in the scope of Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't need an episode. I need five minutes. That's all I need. I just yeah. need, I need, I need something. I know zero, zero about this person other than her name. And now that she's hired John Walker, something would have been nice. So, and for me, all I remember, there was something about the way she was depicted that was close enough to what I visually remember from the comic books. It is not a character. It, I read a lot of Nick Fury and don't remember the character, but that was more of an issue of how female characters were depicted in comic books versus male characters. But I can tell you that there's something about it that reminded me that this character's been around a long while, but I couldn't remember if she was a good guy or a bad guy. And that's why I love the toying around with, is she a good guy, is she a bad guy kind of thing? Because I couldn't remember. And, and especially since at this point, we now know by the time you get to that second scene with her, we now know that clearly they're taking people from Cap's history who were good guys and making them bad guys. It doesn't matter what I yep. know. So for me, that was enough yep. because right. I'm like, I have no idea where she's going, but I wouldn't have even if I did. Yeah. I think we have, uh, I think we have killed this. <laughs> I think because we're, <laughs> this is, is going to be a big episode. So we, we appreciate everybody uh, s sitting through this while we, while we tear this down, because the, the, like we said at the beginning, there is a lot on here and you know, this is certainly not the last that you're going to hear from us uh, talking about MCU. We are really excited about the, uh, the Loki series, which is the next one that's coming up in just a couple of weeks here. And uh, that's, we're going to be doing an episode with, uh, with friends of the show, the Marvelous Madams uh, when Loki comes out. So that'll be a, that'll be a good time. Uh, looking forward to having a talk with them. If you're not checking out that podcast, uh, if you're a Marvel fan, it's it's hysterical. They are a riot. Uh, so please go check them out. Last uh, last words on this one, uh, Mr. Miller, so we can go ahead and put this to, the, this to bed for now. <laughs> so uh, more of a reiteration of kind of the themes that I've been speaking about for a while. Falcon and Winter Soldier did a fantastic fantastic and amazing job of taking former sidekicks, making them player characters, and then putting them in a world that the boundaries were changing, the players were changing, and they are replacing the people that came before. It did that while taking care of the action combat pillar perfectly. 
it did that while taking the role play. Some of the conversations yeah. between the two of them, some great role each play. of them, yeah. and their in, in individual other elements, even with other bad guys. Scenes between them and Zemo. Scenes between them and Sharon. Scenes between Bucky and the Dora Milaje. Oh, there were so many great scenes with them that were highly role played, and I'm really focused on the two of them. Though there were great scenes with other characters, John Walker as well. There's so many great scenes that I think that was an exquisite part of this show, the the role play pillar. They really did do the uh, exploration pillar. We were in Louisiana. We were in Washington. We were in Baltimore. In Madripoor. We were in yeah. Madripoor. We were in Lithuania. The yeah. Lithuania. We were wherever the GRC was meeting. It felt like New York, but I wasn't yeah. 100%. No, it was New York. It was Manhattan. It was New York. It was Manhattan. Okay. Uh, all of those locations were done. To, uh, we were at the very beginning. We started in the desert and mountains of North Africa. You know, uh, this was done to show the scope. So there was exploration in this. And I think in addition to be a fantastic action adventure, fun and socially conscious show. We also got a great idea of how to do some of these things for our table. You can have your your player character group globetrot. Yep. You can have your player character group have great conversations with high authority. You can have them have great conversations with each other. You can have them have great conversations with villains that don't necessarily end up in a fight. But when you do get to the fight, make it quick. Make it, make it action-oriented. I think it was neat, nice to note that... None of the action sequences were like the ones before it. The scenes of the action sequences were different. They changed up. Like the first one was in the air in a helicopter thing. Then there was all these different scenes. They split the party and yeah. still had a great time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, all these things you can do at your table. Um, but most importantly, just watch this watch this show. Yep. Rewatch the show, enjoy it. I loved it, yep. and I'm glad that other people loved it. Too. Yep. Uh, as always, we love to go ahead and hear your comments uh, on uh, on this, and uh, we look forward to talking more MCU when Loki comes out in a couple of weeks. So, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.